Hey, what's going on? It's Chris Carino. This is the Voice of the Nets podcast, a weekly podcast where we dive into all things Nets and beyond with a variety of guests. Today on the program, we thought we would just take a moment to recap the first three games of the season. And to do that, nobody better than my radio partner going into our 22nd season together, the great Tim Capstraw, the capper joining us right now. And Capper, we're, we're on the road right now. You and I are in uh, dueling hotel rooms. We're across the hall from each other right now. Uh, <laughs> but this is, the, this is the most efficient way for us to, uh, to connect and do this. Um, we, we had spare time after the Dallas game. And, and for a moment, I thought, well, you know, we have a lot of time here. Let's do this episode after the first couple of games, the first impressions kind of thing. You know, we like to put these things out on Tuesday mornings. But we said, hey, how about let's wait one more game. Let's wait one more game. Let's get through the Charlotte game. That gives us a, a sample of three. And, and then we could still maybe get it out. We'll have to do it Tuesday morning. It won't, be, it won't really be the time we put it out. But we'll have to put it out a little later. Maybe you're hearing this on <laughs> Wednesday or, or later on today. Not sure when you're going to get it. Talking to our audience right now, not you, Cap. Um, but we said, let's wait one more day. And boy, are we glad we waited one more day to kind of give a recap because how quickly things change in, in your fandom. If you're a coach, you were a head coach. I mean, how quickly one game can change your outlook on a team. Yeah, that's exactly what has happened. Uh, I'm sure to Nets fans, to Nets staff, Certainly to myself, when you, even though the Nets played pretty well in the first two games, when you're losing games, you don't know when you're ever going to win again. You're thinking, I don't know. Charlotte's not that great, but I don't know what we have. But I tell you what, in 12 minutes, and that, or the first five minutes of the game last night, you knew things were different. The, the energy, the excitement, the, the pace, the defense, the offense, the fast break, it was beautiful to watch, and, and everything changed right there. You know, I, I, I get it that it's, it's the Charlotte Hornets. It's not, you know, the first game was against Cleveland. You know, Dallas, you're playing against Luka Doncic. Uh, the Hornets, though, were a team that we think could surprise people this year, and, and we were having this conversation with a, with a few people now about how there are no gimmies anymore. There, there are no easy wins in, on the, in the Eastern Conference schedule. I mean, you want to say Washington is not a top team? Well, they've got a win. The Nets were the only team without a win. Um, so we get it. There's, the opponents change. Circumstances change. But you really, when you look at the three games in totality, it was like they were building to this game. You know, the first two games, we felt they played well enough to win those games. Like they, they had a, a six-point lead with a minute 24 to go in the game against Cleveland. They had a, a lead against Dallas midway through the fourth quarter, you know, a decent lead midway through the fourth quarter of that game. You know, they had played well enough to win those first two games. It's not like they had played poorly, yet they were 0-2. And they were building toward what we saw against Charlotte. And we knew, you know, looking at the schedule coming up, looking at Miami, at Chicago, then Boston in the second half of a back-to-back, followed by Milwaukee. I mean, you know, if you didn't get the game against Charlotte, you you were possibly looking at an ugly record. And I think that at this point now, that was a, you know, you don't want to relax off one game. 
But there was a sigh of relief in it, in a sense that you got the win out of the way with the difficult scheduling coming up, and you started to look like the team that you thought you could be. Exactly. And you started to understand maybe the formula you need for success with this group. You, you learned a lot uh, of what, about what you have in the last three games. I, I think that the Nets learned, uh, certainly last night, that if they defend well enough and they get out and run, they can be a very, very dangerous team. They scored 42 points in the first quarter, Chris, and missed open shots. If you review the game and you see the amount of open threes that weren't connected on, it's even more encouraging because you're saying to yourself, wow. Now, the Hornets, well, they're not a great team. One thing Steve Clifford is known for, and they were a top 10 defensive team last year, is they know how to get back in, in transition and they know how to guard. Well, they couldn't guard it. They couldn't guard the, 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 the pace, the space, the force into the paint, collapsing it, kicking back. There's no threes you want more than, than an inside-out three. That way you're just lining it up in the basket. Nets had a number of those. They played great basketball. The ball was popping. It. The ball had energy. We said that last night. And uh, the formula is starting to come together to understand what it's going to take uh, to have uh, a, a good team, a team that people got to look at and say, "Woo, they're dangerous. Now, Cam Thomas has contributed an awful lot to that. I can't deny that. But there have been other factors and other things that look good out there. And uh, it was really fun last night. Well, you know, Cam over 30 points again, third straight game, youngest player since Shaq to have 30 or more points in the first three games of a team season. Uh, he has been a revelation. I, well, revelation might not be the right word there because I think exactly. we knew I'm not sure. Cam Thomas was capable of this. I, I think, you know, even I mentioned it in, a, in an earlier podcast, I think it was, I was talking to Sarah the last time we were doing a little, uh, pre, you know, during the preseason. And I said, I thought it was telling that when there was an injury to Cam Johnson, they, they, they put Cam Thomas in the starting lineup. And that Jacques Vaughn was giving Cam Thomas an opportunity to grab either it be a starter or a major role with this team. That he wasn't just going to be kind of a roll the dice kind of guy as he'd been in his first couple of seasons, but was going to be a player that's going to play a major role with this team. And, you know, right away, the Nets are experiencing some injury issues. You know, Cam Johnson is now going to be out for a little bit with a calf uh, strain. You know, Nick Claxton went down. Uh, you know, last night, first half, Spencer Dinwiddie goes down. Um, but Cam Thomas now has stepped into the starting lineup. And, you know, we always knew he can score. The question with Cam Thomas has always been, can he score and make the offense better? Can he score and do the other little things that he needs to do? Is he, is he going to be able to uh, play with the team defensively? Um, and you could, you could say a little bit, that becomes a little overrated sometimes when you can just go out and score, just score more than the other team. But, you know, sometimes it's a little different when you score in isolation situations as to terms of what it does for your offense. And I think the difference with Cam Thomas and the revelation has been that it's not just he gets the ball and it's ISO Cam. He's scoring now within the offense. Yes, he's still going to get it late in the shot clock and he's going to go ISO. Yes, he's still going to try and take his man. But at the same time, it, 
it, it fits. You know, like he, yeah. he's he's providing something and it fits with the other players that are on the floor. Yeah, it's a little bit it's it's more decisive. It's not a lot of sideways dribbling where he's thinking about what he might do with it. And and again, you got to give him some leeway to do that. He's he's a prolific scorer. What I like is that I like the way he's getting all the way to the basket at times. He's getting all the way to the rim and he's so strong in the air, the way he can power through people or around or he can finesse, you know, his mid range game when he gets the spots, he can, he shoots the three. Well, he is a dynamic score. And I think we talked about players getting better in the off season. And now cam is a couple years in. He also understands if he doesn't do that, he's not going to play. So He's now become a complete player. We know a great offensive player and an adequate defender. And, and, and that's what you want from him. Uh, Jock deserves credit for not, you know, for this off season of taking the time to get to know these guys and, and then communicating exactly what he wants. And, and a guy like Cam now wanting to give that to the team. Uh, it, it, it's been, it's been really enjoyable. Yeah, you know, and even Jagbaum was talking about it last night with us before the game about how, you know, in the past, the way the team was was made up, it it made sense to play iso ball offensively. It, when yeah. you had star players like, you know, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, it doesn't make sense for them to play that way anymore. Um, but you can a little bit with Cam because, yeah, like he said, like you just described, he is so good at scoring. And the other thing that I think you're you're seeing emerge is that – we, we talked about how this team was going to get better defensively. Uh, last year, everybody came together at the last minute. They were all speaking different languages defensively uh, with the various teams they had been on, but that the Nets had really good individual defenders. When you talk about Mikel Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Nick Claxton. I mean, all really good guys with defensive reputations. Um when you look right now at the numbers defensively, they've been giving up a lot of points at times. But I think sometimes you have to look at within the game, right? Within the game, when you need a stop, when there's a big possession, can you get that defensive stop? And the guys that I just mentioned, now Claxton went out after the first game with an injury, even though he had played well in that Cleveland game. Remember, he was going up against Evan Mobley, blocked him a couple of times. Yeah. Um, the The – Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, yeah. you know, when you have those guys out there with Cam Thomas, they'll make up for any deficiencies that Cam Thomas has defensively. And, you know, Ben Simmons is out there. Uh, it, the team has played well. When, when, they've got, when they've got guys like Lonnie Walker on the floor, Dennis Smith Jr., I mean, we're seeing it potentially a team that, uh, you know, we, we saw it in the game against Cleveland where it was – their defensive lineup that actually got them back in the game. So I think we could talk about, you know, pace is, is linked to defense a lot, right? You got to get stops or turnovers to get out and run. We saw that last night against Charlotte. Uh, we saw that defensive lineup be just stifling against Cleveland and turn what was a deficit into a lead in the second half. Uh, more part of the recipe of how this team is going to get going and how it's starting to grow through the first three, three games. Yeah, no. And, and think about what the defense does, right? If the defense is good enough and the rebounding is good enough, you saw it last night, Ben Simmons then has become such a factor in the games. He is, he is an unique 
talent that is enjoyable to be a teammate with out there, Chris. Let's just be honest. If he's if you're getting stops and he gets the ball and you're in transition, he wants to find you. Some of it may have with he's not super confident and picks his uh, go shooting the basketball. Well, how much fun is that to be a teammate of? Because he's going he's going out of his way to find it. First of all, he gives the ball up early at times. He gives it up early. His kick up snapping of the wrist chest passes are beautiful. They're they're J kid like. The way he can, and he connected on a couple of those in the beginning of the game, right? Over the top touchdown passes. Then when you're sprinting up the floor and you're attacking, he has that force to go into the paint. Can he score? Yes. Does he love, does he, but he's kind of, he's kind of like he's attacking to pass and he surprises you when he shoots the basketball. But, but he gets into the teeth of the defense. The, te- the defense collapses, and then the ball is sprayed, and it's either shot or moved, and it becomes a contagious way to play the game that is led by the defense, led by the outlet in, in Simmons, getting that ball up. And then guys, he wants to move it. Other guys want to move it. Guys want to score it. The rhythm, it's hard to keep up with. And it was... Um, it was really enjoyable last night. If you can, like, it, I think a couple of the tweets you got, bottle that. We want to bottle that formula. Well, that that is the formula that makes him look really good on the floor. And when he looks good on the floor, um, the Nets look good. Well, let's face it, Tim. That was a big, you know, the wild card coming into this season. Everybody said, well, where's the bar for the Nets? Where are we setting the bar? For this team. And a lot of it was, well, if Ben Simmons is healthy and going back to look like the Ben Simmons of, you know, when he was an all star, all defensive player, then the bar can be set a little higher with this group. Um, I think there was I think the first two games you didn't notice Ben Simmons as much. And then what was made that game against Charlotte even more a little bit of a sigh of relief game is that. That first quarter and what you just described with Ben Simmons. I mean, that changes your outlook. You see what he's capable of. We even saw him get to the line against Charlotte, which he hadn't done in the first two games because he was aggressive and went hard to the rim. Now, he, that's probably something he'll do more of or needs to do more of. Again, he's got to get going again. It's been a while since he played in you know real yeah. NBA action. Uh, but certainly... Your outlook changes when he's pushing the pace and dishing and swishing like we always, you know, get Clyde in there. Now he, he again, he's a he's a unique, talented player, and he's a force out there. And listen, uh, game one, Cleveland didn't notice him so much. Dallas saw him a lot more, right? He got he's gotten better each game. Now what you see from him is you don't. He's getting well. He got what, 10, 11 points last night, and, and he got to the basket. And he's five of six from the field. That's terrific. Okay, he doesn't need 16 to 20. That's not what he, he, he can. If he just he plays the straight up and he played straight up good defense, didn't get silly reach fouls. I don't I don't like those. I just want him to be a physical force defensively and, and getting out, pushing it, playing the game, almost a triple double. Chris, he had eight assists, right? He could have had. 13, because there are a lot of guys who are open off of beautiful kickouts, and the shots were, were really nice. And again, I just think he was a big part of the collective energy that was going on to start the game. 
He came out the force, and, and I'm sure the topic is going to come out, and it already has, and it's been a, for a year, you know, all last year and all that. Is that you know he play he's playing with an open floor, right? He's playing with shooters around him. So I think that is going to be you know we talk about the recipe that Jacques Vaughn is trying to figure out how can he bottle this formula. I think that's going to come into play as time evolves with this team uh, to see exactly who fits with who, when and where. But to see him go up and down the floor and see the guys, the wings being filled and decisions being made and shots being taken with confidence. Man, that's hard to guard and a lot of fun to play. So just to, to kind of recap, I think we've hit headlines right now. I think we've gotten the headlines of through the first three games, uh, even though the Nets are one and two, they've played well. And yeah. their best game was their last game against Charlotte. And they got in the win column. And we saw them with the ability to get stops and run and play the kind of the kind of style we thought we would see with this team. So it's good to see that so far. We've we've touched on you know, Ben Simmons and, and, and his evolution over the first three games and what he can be, you know, the obvious big headline, Cam Thomas, and his scoring ability. We've touched on the injuries, right? Cam Johnson is already out. Nick Claxton was out. Uh, Dinwiddie gets hurt against Charlotte. So I think these are the major things that we've covered. Now let's dive into some of the, the hidden gems, Cap, or the Easter eggs. Uh, because for me, the big one has been the play – of Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, we were we showed up in Dallas, and I you know we knew this a little bit, but then when you're when you're there and on the ground in Dallas, and we start talking to some people, and you start seeing Dorian Finney-Smith interact with with people at the arena in Dallas, there they he is beloved there. I mean, yeah. universally, just absolutely loved by that city and that fan base. And they were so uh, disappointed to see him go in the trade to the Nets. We've talked about the organization still rallied to help him uh, with, you know, freeing his father from prison, even though he was not um, with yeah. the team anymore. It was a process that they had started and they continue with that shows you what they think of Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, you know, our digital team put out that incredible documentary from Portsmouth to Brooklyn. If people haven't seen it, definitely go to the Nets YouTube page and watch that outstanding documentary. And you get a real glimpse into the kind of person that Dorian Finney-Smith is. But Tim, last year when the Nets got Finney-Smith, you know, again, the rep of being great defender, can hit the three, didn't shoot it well last year, was 30%, was not in rhythm, just didn't look like the kind of player that the Nets thought they were getting. This year, in these first three games, um, not only does he just play as hard as anybody on the floor, exactly. we see his defensive prowess. You're starting to really see it. It's coming out. It's obvious. And he's shooting 45.5% from behind the arc. Uh, I, I think out of anybody, I have as much fun watching Dorian Finney-Smith with this net team. I am out last year. I was talking about how I'm president of the Royce O'Neill fan club. Well, I think yeah. I'm starting another chapter and I think I may start the Finney Smith fan club and be president of that. If I can be president of two fan clubs at the same time, I don't know. I'll get a ruling on that from you. 
Yeah, I th- I'm only going to allow one. I'm only going to allow one, but uh, I, I understand. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. What a pleasure to watch. Here's the other thing, Chris. He shot it well in preseason, too. He's 50% in preseason. And we thought that like he could only maybe make the corner three because Luca could get him the ball as he skipped it over the top to the opposite corner. He could set his feet and shoot the three. I, I think um, uh, he's making the above-the-break three. Uh, and he's doing it with confidence. He missed the cut. He could have made a few more last night. I mean, he was open. And again, that's that's playing that small ball five position. He is going to be at there. You know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be interesting to see how much the Nets can get away with that. But if, if there's a guy you want to hang your hat on, because you're going to have to give up something. We saw even Mark Williams last night able to get the ball and be able to make some dunks. And there's some guys around the league that it's not going to work particularly well with, but if he can offset the interior size of some of the big men in the NBA playing small ball five by his ability to shoot the ball, that will neutralize a lot of that size. And man, I don't, I don't think he doesn't back down to anybody. You know, I, here's the other thing. Guys drive the lane on other people. He's got the best. Him and Royce O'Neal actually got great active hands. They're always stripping and digging at the ball. How about his fundamental blockouts we've seen during the first three yeah. games of getting guys and driving them off? His compete level. He is just ready to go from the get-go. He's a winning guy. Listen, I think, you know, when you get traded like he was traded last year, you're coming to a new environment so many things changed. Uh, yes, he wasn't clicking, shooting the basketball. You liked his compete level, but he has been uh, a, a bit of a surprise because I just love his all around game. And it doesn't, and I love watching guys shoot and warm ups. You know, I like, it's like my thing. I like to see how consistent they are and all those kind of things in their fundamentals. I watch him shoot around. I think it's going in all the time when he's shooting around. He's a good shooter. So if he can keep that up, I, I, he, he is and, a, a terrific player, a terrific winner. And you mentioned it, you know, I think rebounding to me becomes a, sometimes it's an overrated stat in terms of individuals looking at their rebound totals. I think team rebounding is huge, um, but sometimes not all rebounds are the same. You know, you could get <laughs> – an uncontested rebound when everybody's sprinting back defensively or a missed free throw rebound. It counts the same as in traffic fighting off three guys to get one. And right. I think when you, when you watch Dorian Finney-Smith, um, he seems to get those contested rebounds. He blocks out to allow others to get rebounds. Uh, just watch him play. I think it gives you more of appreciation than just looking sometimes at stats, because sometimes to me, rebound stats can be a little bit, a little bit hollow. I'm not saying, you know, guys that go out and get 10 rebounds a game aren't good rebounders, but sometimes it can be a little, watch them play. And when I watch him, when I watch Royce O'Neal, um, what he does, those guys, those stats aren't hollow. They really battle. Um, Caber, what other guys stood out to you so far right now? Uh, oh, that you might want to Lonnie mention. Walker, Lonnie, Lonnie yeah. Walker, uh, Lonnie Walker, uh, the fourth has been, uh, uh, he, he, listen, he didn't play game one game two. I was raving about him. Boy, he looks so, con- he looks aggressive yet controlled at the same time. That's a great combination, right? I, I, I even liked a couple he, he, 
I think he got a couple of charges called on him in, in Dallas because he was going at the rim. Nice mix of getting to the rim and a clean looking deep shot. It's got a mid range game. He missed a few last night that he can knock down also, but um, good looking, controlled, athletic talent. That was a great get in the offseason. He's a good looking player on both ends of the floor. Totally looks in his environment out there. Nothing in the game is not too big for him. And he's decisive when he gets the ball. He's knowing on the pass, on the reception, am I going to shoot it? Am I going to drive it? Or am I going to move it? And he doesn't waste any time uh, making that play happen. And I like the way he's gotten to spots. He's been able to contort his body at times or be physical finishing at the basket. Um, he's knocked down threes. Uh, he, he can run the floor. Uh, he, he is uh, going to be a major contributor to this team. And again, the, the parts of this team, there, there's something about it that fits pretty good, which is exciting to me. Like, like some guys might not be, you know, great on, uh, well, I think he's a good player no matter what, but I think the parts fit pretty good on this team. And that's, that's what's intriguing to me. I know I hadn't thought that, you know, that term, the sum is greater than the parts. I thought that last night when I was watching the Nets play that all these guys are, might be on the right team. Maybe Ben Simmons is on the really right team for a lot of reasons. Maybe Lonnie Walker is getting this great opportunity at the right time. Maybe Dennis Smith Jr. is is the right guy in the right time and a team that needs what he provides. So uh, the timing might be might be very good uh, for this team right now. And whereas guys might be in another team and they might not know where they play and it's an awkward situation, it feels to me that it's come together a little bit. You know, we're seeing, and we keep using the term recipe and bottling it and that. I mean, and again, the camp, t- we said to this before the season, let's not forget about this. We said this group has enough players to be good enough to get to the final five minutes of the game. And it's exactly what happened in the first two games. And then you said to yourself, well, they're not going to be able to close. They're not going to be able to close because the superstars like Donovan Mitchell, good Doncic are going to own the game. What I think you see with the Nets and you saw yesterday, although it wasn't a great example because the game wasn't so tight, that the Nets got two guys they can go to and make plays happen. And maybe three because Spencer Dinwiddie, if he's out there, has a burst ability to get into the paint. But I like the tandem idea of, Yes, Bridges is good, and he's a, he can be a good player, but maybe he's not one of those guys you can exclusively rely on. So, what the benefit of you know, now you got now you discovered the revelation of Cam Thomas? He's fearless. So you got a kind of a a two headed closing situation. You got your setup guy, and you got your closer. I don't know which one is what, but they uh, I, I think that can be enough to get it done in the last four or five minutes of games at, at, at times. And I, I think that is something you're seeing uh, begin to evolve again, you know, small, small sample size, but a heck of a sample size. Yeah. Maybe it's like, remember the Mets years ago? I think it was, I think it was like Roger McDowell. And I don't know. I forget the other one. Was it uh, where they, or Jesse Orozco, maybe I forget who it was, but they used to, they used to have two closers and they would put one in right field and then alternate them depending on who was at bat. 
maybe that's we got a double headed close. Yeah, you know right something. There. I um, love throwing things out and you just <laughs> making it work, man. That was beautiful. You know, it's funny though because I was thinking this, and then you started to go there with Mikel Bridges. I, I, I think. Listen, we all were ecstatic that Mikel Bridges was in the Kevin Durant deal, right? That was a player that seemed to be the the. That was the guy that Sean Marks needed to have, right? Like the, there was it was it was obvious that the Nets and the Suns were going to make a deal. They had talked about it in the, the previous offseason. And it seemed to be the hangup was that the Suns didn't want to get rid of Mikel Bridges and the Nets were not going to do a deal without Mikel Bridges. The reason that he was in demand was the player he was in Phoenix, right? I mean, the player we've seen in his career, uh, a complimentary scorer who was an, an, an all-league defender. And right. when he came to the Nets, suddenly he was scoring more and, we, and he started to project. Maybe he could be a go-to guy. Maybe he could be your number one scorer. We don't know, but but now I think with the emergence of Cam Thomas, he can be that player with the Nets. But as you mentioned, doesn't with Cam there, he maybe doesn't have to be the primary scorer. Uh, well, he can, be, can at be, be at times. It can be at times, yeah. yeah. But maybe that maybe that's better. You talk about this team fitting. Yes, I'm just saying the sum of those two might be what you need. What makes Cam Thomas a top player now in the, in the NBA? I think he's an all-star player. Is that he's a, one of the best two-way players in the NBA? That doesn't mean he's. That means he's. I think he's one of the top players in the league. Twenty top twenty thirty players in the league. Fifteen twenty. But he's there because he's such a two-way player and an all-around player. That doesn't necessarily make him the ultimate closer like some guys are that don't play defense in the NBA. You know what I mean? So his greatness is, 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 is I think, the all-around game that he has. And listen, I, I just think having a couple guys like that that can do it. I also think Dinwiddie is a guy that with a floor space, remember in his time, if, if when he's making good decisions, can get to the rim and, and let people and, and make plays also. I, and, and other guys that if they're converged on and the ball's doubled out of their hands, they're all capable shooters. So I think it might not be done in a superstar manner, but again, you know, but I think that combination of those two um, could be enough because we thought this net team might get to that five minute mark, but then, and then the two first games, you're like, yeah, it's going to be frustrating, even though they're going to get there. But uh, listen, the Dallas, that the Cleveland game was, you, you want that one back so bad. You're up six with a 120 to go. Now, Dallas, uh, listen, Luke is going to make those. If he's making those shots, I don't know. I don't know what closer is going to beat him on the other end. So, um, you know, but I think the Nets are learning things. Uh, I, I like, listen, there's so many, th there's a lot of things to like. And uh, I know I, I'm Mr. Positive a lot of the times, but for a one and two team, I feel pretty good about this group right now. Yeah. You know, that was the thing. That was the theme, though, going into last night's game in, in Charlotte was, well, they were 0-2, but you felt like they'd play well. And yeah. what Charlotte did for you was Charlotte opened up your eyes to the fact that, no, don't give up on them yet. That, that what we thought they could be kind of showed up in Charlotte. It also took the pressure off with getting one in the win column during a difficult stretch right now of games. 
Uh, and you don't want to relax, but you hope now this will give them confidence. This will give everybody the thought, well, all right, going into these games now, this is what we know they can be. This is what the formula is. Let's see if they can go execute. Because it's still about, you know, executing at the end of the day. And I think what it always points out is, is what you know as a coach, Capper. When you, when you lose, you think you're never going to win another game. And when you win, you think you're never, you know, yeah. You think you may never lose again. You know, there's just it, it your 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 outlook changes so quickly and our outlook changed uh very quickly with our little trip here to Charlotte. Yeah, the one thing that I noticed that I thought was encouraging, I, I didn't like uh some of the um the the first game one, I didn't love some of the defense, right? I didn't think I thought they were getting clipped off on screens when they're playing a drop defense. I, I thought that was going on. I thought in game two, there was some confusion on switches against the Dallas Mavericks. I thought last night the Nets were connected better on the defensive side. Now you, you saw that the lack of size at times, what, what you could that was obvious. But the Nets were cleaner with their switches. And you're thinking that's such an easy thing to do. But I thought the Nets were communicating better. They were up there into the ball. They weren't getting beat when they when their when their man set the screen. They got underneath, so they're between the basket and the man. It was cleaner. It was better. And again, that resulted in the ball coming off the rim. If the ball comes off the rim, this net team get running those lanes and spacing that floor and pushing the pace with force is a very dangerous team. Absolutely. Well said. Maybe we'll, we'll finish up right there. Uh, we have other things we can talk about. Uh, the small ball lineups you mentioned, how that's kind of become a five out thing with Nick Claxton being out a lot of room to drive it. Right. Like that's opened up some things. Um, Dayron Sharp. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Probably should have talked about him. Good ball. Garbage man. <laughs> We we saw him on the elevator last night, right? And we're like, Daron, that was a heck of a 10 minutes. And he's like, yeah, 11 points, yeah. eight rebounds. Or it was a, we didn't no, have the no, heart to no, bring up. No, this is what happened. Chris, I said to him, I wanted to dig him a little bit because, hey, man, you. I said to him, you really filled up the stat sheet tonight. Yeah, no, he's a delight. He's delightful. He's um, His activity around the basket. I think he's he rolls well. That's an important thing. You want to put pressure on the rim. He's been rolling well. Him and Didwitty got a little bit of connection, and he he goes after the offensive glass. Man, he's he's fun to watch. And his and his role and his time. I like what we've seen out of Dayron Sharp. I'm glad we didn't we didn't leave this pod without talking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we covered a Fred lot. Sanford. Nobody knows who Fred Sanford is, but he's a garbage man. But he's Fred Fred Sanford. Uh, there you go. Watch, go watch Sanford and Son. Our recommendation for the day. You'll no, no doubt enjoy that. A uh, little Red Fox, Elizabeth, uh, and uh, and now we're on our way to uh, Miami, uh, then Chicago, Boston, Milwaukee coming up. Man, it's a tough schedule, but we'll see if the Nets can uh, grab one of these. Capper, thanks so much for uh, joining us here on the Voice of the Nets. Appreciate it. All righty, I'll go outside in the hallway and see you. Uh, <laughs> my thanks to Steve Goldberg and Chelsea Jenkins. We'll talk to you again next week right here on The Voice of the Nets.